Baseball and First podcast, a podcast for baseball fans by a baseball fan. I'm Stephanie, your host, and in this episode, we'll discuss Yadier Molina's comments about his future as a Cardinal, and in case you missed it, another MLB idea for a 2020 season, a player you may not know, but you should, Amir Garrett of the Reds, the Pittsburgh Pirates preseason topics, sabermetric of the day, fielding independent pitching, eight years of Trout and Harper, why we love baseball, and I will answer the question, why is the pinching mound the height that it is? Okay, let's talk about Yadi Molina, the Cardinals' future Hall of Fame catcher. He's got nine gold gloves, and this week he did an interview with ESPN where he talked about his future as a Cardinal. Now, back in January, he said that he wanted to play two to three more seasons after the season, but he only wanted to do it as a St. Louis Cardinal, which, as a Cardinal fan, exactly what you want to hear. But to this week, he said, I previously said that if it wasn't with St. Louis, that I would go home. If we were unable to come to an extension agreement, I would retire. But the situation with this pandemic has changed everything, and right now I'm thinking of playing two more years. Obviously, St. Louis is my first option, but if they don't sign me, then I'm willing to go into free agency. This situation has changed my mentality, and all I want to do is play. Okay, totally understand that, totally get that. But from a fan perspective, the last thing we want to see is Yadier Molina, future Hall of Famer, who has spent his entire career with the Cardinals, go finish out his career playing for someone else. Because, you know, often I feel like it's the Cubs, right? That's where people go. Jim Edmonds to finish out their careers after playing in St. Louis. Unacceptable. Um, I don't know if this is like a agent thing, you know, dangle it out there, get people upset and, you know, have the uh, organization then come to the rescue and, and go ahead and sign the extension and say, sure, we want Yachty around. Um, from the Cardinals' perspective, I can completely understand um, why they would be a tad bit hesitant because this has been going on for a few years. And obviously, you want Molina around just for his knowledge, if nothing else. But he's still a great catcher. He's still above average. He's still better than most catchers in the league. I would argue, and the leadership that he brings, you can't quantify. And that's the thing with Molina, right? You just, you can't quantify many of the things that he does, which is why um, what I would refer to as um, less lesser informed fans, um, you know, may throw, you know, Posey out there as a better player. Y'all are just nuts. Let's just be honest, y'all are just crazy. So anyway, we don't want to see Molina in any other jersey but a St. Louis one. So whatever the Cardinals organization needs to do, I don't know if you can can get Yachty to play fewer games and try to get a replacement, um, a future replacement at catcher in there to get some experience or not. But Yachty needs to stay at Cardinal until he stops playing. And that's just that. Okay, in case you missed it, one idea that MLB has been uh, tossing around and became public this week for a shortened season in 2020 is taking the 30 teams 
and splitting them into 10 team divisions. So three 10 team divisions. There would be no American League and no National League. It would just be one league. The teams would be combined into, like I said, 10 team divisions based on geographic location, which would make travel easier if teams are allowed to play then on their home fields, but still without fans. Okay, this is this is an idea. Uh, I still, um, you know, have some questions logistically, but ultimately I feel like this is really MLB's underhanded way of getting the designated hitter in both leagues. So in case you you're not informed right now, in the AL pitchers do not bat in their spot. A designated hitter bats in their spot. In the National League, the pitchers still bat for themselves. I'm a National League fan, so I like that the pitchers bat. But honestly, MLB's been pushing this DH thing to try and get into both leagues for so long that at this point I'm like, whatever, like let's just let's do it so we can just get it over with and move on. Um, I, I honestly do see the benefit of being able to do that. Maybe you have a couple of less pitcher injuries from um, trying to, to swing out of their shoes or, or run the bases. And I know running the bases for pitchers always makes everyone nervous, especially when your your aces are out there <laughs> running the bases. But it also provides some really exciting moments when your pitchers are able to come through. And honestly, every pitcher should be able to put down a bunt, right? I mean... Honestly, every major leaguer should be able to put down a bunt. Seems like a lost art these days. But um, I really do feel like this is is Major League Baseball's way of saying, oh, we don't have an AL and an NL anymore, so everybody plays with a DH. And then, oh, it's 2021. What? Oh, yeah, we're we're just going to continue to play with the DH. So let's just keep going with that. Um, Sneaky, sneaky, sneaky. But, you know, whatever. Let's just play. Um... As far as the teams playing on home fields without fans, how do y'all feel about that? Um, Because I'm thinking I'm going to want to go peek in the gates (laughs) and see what I can see, um, you know, for the games. I want to stand outside and look at the stadium lights. And in some ways, it might make it a little bit more difficult to know they're so close, playing so close, but yet still so far away because I cannot go in that stadium and watch them. But on the other hand, at least I can go home, sit on my sofa, and watch some great games and great competition and root for them from my living room. A player you may not know, but you should. Amir Garrett, the Reds' 27-year-old left-handed pitcher. Amir, in 69 games in 2019, had a 3.21 ERA. But Amir's stats are not the main reason why I enjoy watching him so much. I love Amir Garrett because he's a pleasure to look at as an athlete. He just looks like a great athlete. He's 6'5", but I really enjoy his passion for the game and that you can see it every single time he's on the mound. He brings a great energy to the game. You actually may know Amir or at least be familiar with him a little from the Reds fight last year with the Pirates and I I say the Reds fight but I say that very loosely because it was really just Amir uh, charging the Pirates dugout and appearing to take on the entire team so 
I've posted that on the show's Instagram at the baseball empress underscore podcast. Uh, if you haven't seen it or you just want to take a look at it again, please, please, please go visit my Instagram page and take a look at it. It's it's worth a look. He tried to take on the entire Pirates dugout. And of course, his team came out to get his back. But it really instantly went to my mind as a classic for a baseball fight. I and mean, just, just his body language was just, it was just awesome. And really, I mean, what are the Reds and Pirates fighting about anyway? I don't know, but who cares? Uh, he also loves bat flips. He recently discussed this on social media, which I don't know that I've ever heard a pitcher talk about bat flips or talk about that he enjoyed them. Uh, basically, what he said was, you take it on the chin and wear it, but next time you face him, strike him out, do whatever you gotta do. Fist pump, moonwalk, cartwheel, do whatever. I'm all for it, both ways. I think that's awesome. And that just is one of the reasons, again, why I love Amir Garrett, why he's an exciting player to watch, uh, why he's worth turning on a Reds game. There's not really many reasons as a Cardinal fan to turn on a Reds game, but you know, hey, Reds fans, I love Amir Garrett. He was recruited at a high school to play basketball actually for St. John's University, which he did until he decided to focus on baseball. He was drafted by the Reds and has spent his entire career with their organization. So if you don't know him, go take a look at some of his clips. I'll post some on the show's Instagram page. Pirates preseason topics again. Like the Cubs, the Pirates have a fresh face leading their clubhouse manager, Derek Shelton. He served as a hitting coach with the Cleveland Indians from 05 to 09 and Tampa Bay Rays from 2010 to 2016. Then he was a quality control coach with the Blue Jays in 2017. He says he wants the team environment to be fun and well, every player will be held accountable to each other. He wants a player-centric culture built on strong communication and relationships with the players, the staff, and the entire organization. Sounds great. Hope it works out. Uh, Starling Marte is now with Arizona, which leaves a hole in the three spot in the lineup for the Pirates. So it'll be interesting to see kind of what they do with that, that spot. So to get the most out of the power production that the Pirates do have, they really need to ensure that they put runners on base in front of Josh Bell, who typically hits fourth. Kevin Newman is the Pirates shortstop and leadoff hitter. His rookie year in 2019, he hit a 308 batting average, 800 OPS, and had a 3.1 war. Brian Reynolds is most likely to bat number two. Uh, he had a 377 OBP, and he also had a 314 average and an 880 OPS. The Pirates could use Adam Frazier in the number three spot. He's the Pirates' left-hitting second baseman and has a 342 career OBP. And since they really want to put runners on in front of Bell, Frazier may be the best option for them at number three. Another option would be to move Gregory Polanco from fifth behind Bell to third in front of him. Polanco has a career OBP of 320 and a 741 OPS. As far as their pitching goes, 
uh, a healthy Chris Archer and their rotation would really do a lot to help them out. And so, from what I understand, Chris Archer is healthy. And the Pirates have had a number of, of serious injuries in their pitching staff. But, of course, if they can stay healthy, who knows what that team can do, especially in a shortened season. So, good luck to the Pirates. I look forward to seeing um, how that all works out for them. I love Chris Archer, so I'll definitely look forward to watching his starts. Okay, stat sabermetric of the day. Fielding independent pitching, also known as FIP, if you see in print. So fielding independent pitching is similar to ERA, but it focuses solely on the events a pitcher has the most control over, which are strikeouts, unintentional walks, hit by pitches, and home runs. It entirely removes results on balls hit into the field of play. Balls in play are not part of that fielding independent pitching equation because the pitcher is believed to have limited control over their outcome, right? Because you've got fielders who are responsible for making those plays and they can cause errors and, and other things and sometimes they just, you know, aren't capable of making the play. They don't have the range for whatever reason. So therefore, um, if a pitcher has surrendered a high average of balls in play, his fielding independent pitching will likely be lower than his ERA. So the top three leaders, active leaders in fielding independent pitching, Clayton Kershaw with the Dodgers at 2.74, Jacob deGrom with the Mets at 2.782, and Chris Sale with the White Sox at 2.905. Not really a surprise, three of the best starting pitchers in the game. That's Fielding Independent Pitching, FIP. This week was the eight-year anniversary of Bryce Harper and Mike Trout coming to Major League Baseball for good. Both were about 20 years old, and Trout went number one in that draft, and Harper went number three in the draft. They were in the same draft, so both were highly anticipated. Like I said, they were about 20 years old when they made it to Major League Baseball, but they're two very different style players. Trout, more keep your head down, play the game. Harper, more let your hair fly and play as loud as you can. But let's be honest, Trout's by far outplayed Harper over these eight years. I mean, Trout's war of almost 73 is more than double that of Harper's 32, or almost 32. So, really, there's not really a comparison between them as players. Trout's contract signed it in March of 2019 with the Angels, 12 years, $430 million. Harper's free agent contract with the Phillies, also in early 2019, 13 years, $330 million. To me, the most interesting part about these two players for them coming in the league at the same time, being highly touted players, for all their talent and hype, neither one has won a World Series. In fact, neither one's even come close to playing in a World Series. Trout's only played in like a handful of playoff games. So what does that mean? I mean, is it an example of baseball being the ultimate team sport where no one player can really have 
that great of influence over the success of a team? Or is it just an example of players choosing money over winning potential with a team? Maybe it isn't either. I mean, I prefer to think of it as an example of how big budgets don't necessarily translate into world championships in baseball. I mean, sometimes organizations can match together a group of lesser paid young players, a few key veterans, and that can result in winning a World Series. One of the things I love about baseball, there's hope for everyone, at least when the season starts. That's beautiful to me, and it's why opening day is so magical. There's so much hope for every fan, every player, every organization. I love baseball. MLB seems to be really concerned with shortening the game to make it more appealing to casual fans. But are they doing it at the expense of their loyal fan base? I mean, we like baseball pretty much the way that it is. That's not to say that the game does not need to evolve, but we need to be careful to keep it intact, at least what we love about the game intact. I mean, what makes us happy to watch baseball? Made me think this week, you know, often people ask me how I can sit through an entire baseball game, how I can watch it on TV, or how I became such a big fan. And I started thinking, well, why does baseball make me so happy? I mean, it's why one of the reasons is just why we love sports in general, the competition. I mean, especially for those of us who've never played sports at a high level, we get to be part of that, that competition, that hope for victory. And if we're really lucky, a championship, right? It makes us feel part of something, part of something that we'll never get to experience as a player or coach. Being part of a, a team, a group, and you share a common source of happiness. When you walk into a stadium and you cheer for the same team that fans beside you are cheering for, Many of your differences and disagreements that you would have outside that stadium go away because you share that common love of your team. And it's a conversation point, and it's, it's just a piece of shared happiness that you can share together. There's not many things in life that do that like sports do it. And if you relate to a certain sport, you grow up with a certain sport or maybe multiple sports or multiple teams, you develop a relationship with fans and you develop a relationship with your team. That's something that is just unlike anything else, really. I feel knowledgeable about baseball. I'm not saying I'm the smartest person or the most knowledgeable, but when you watch something your whole life with a passion and, and just a love, you learn stuff. And so, you know, when you're knowledgeable about something, it gives you the confidence to, to pursue it more, to be more involved, to talk about it, to share it with other people. Baseball brings back childhood memories for me, too. I mean, really good ones. Uh, the time I first visited Bush Stadium, Bush 2, so the stadium before this current stadium, uh, it was one of those cookie-cutter stadiums. Um, that, that some cities had. And 
I can remember as a child, and I don't know how old I was, I don't know, six maybe, and my Aunt Jackie had gotten us tickets to the game, and I can remember walking through the tunnel on the, the first level where you walk through, and at the end of that tunnel, I saw the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen, which at that time I thought was grass, really, really, really green grass with players in red and white and beautiful white lines with a little bit of dirt. I don't know. It was just, I can, I still remember it to this day with the sun shining. It was just the most beautiful thing that I had ever seen. It was AstroTurf, but you know, I didn't know that at the time. It doesn't really matter. I, I, that was the moment I fell in love with baseball for forever. My eyes widened. I just had never seen anything so beautiful. Watching great come from behind wins. I can remember sitting in my grandmother's living room with my uncles, aunts, cousins, and watching just during the summer great come from behind wins for the Cardinals. Just unbelievable wins that you never thought they were going to ever pull that game out. They were never going to put those string of hits together. You know, Edgar Renteria was never going to get three hits in one inning and just things like that that you just you just hold on to when you, you share that experience with people that you love and care about. We're all jumping around and, and talking about it for the rest of the night or the, the rest of the week. It's just pure joy, right? I mean, that's what we we strive for in life, right? Pure joy. And that's what those moments are to me. Learning that my grandmother was actually the baseball fan in the family and that she was the one who really passed that love of baseball down um, gave me a little, you know, gave me some female pride. I mean, I'm proud of my grandmother for, for all the way back in the day, you know, being the knowledgeable baseball fan that she was and, and proud of that fact. And I'm very grateful for her sharing that love and, and experience with the family um, so that I could experience that as a child and grow up with that, that same love. Baseball can take patience. I'm not the best at, at patience, <laughs> not by a long shot. Um, but for some reason, when I'm watching a baseball game, I have all the patience in the world. Unless you're talking about, you know, waiting for challenge times from, you know, New York or, or whatever, waiting for, for calls to be made. But the actual playing of the game, I can sit there forever. I don't mind extra inning games, free baseball, awesome. I'll sit there, I'll watch a whole other nine innings because I know something interesting is going to happen to end that game. And if I get to see a walk-off, well, I just consider myself blessed. So there are so many things to love about baseball. I love the stats, the numbers, watching defensive shifts, knowing players like Yadier Molina, watching all the little things that they do, getting to watch them on a daily basis. The career of Albert Pujols, being able to witness that and how that man amazed day in and day out, just with everything that he was able to do. Uh, the work ethic of many players, 
there's so many things I could go on and on and on. I know many of you share those same loves, and that's why you you watch baseball. I don't know how to communicate that to people who are casual fans. But I do know that I don't want MLB to take those things away from me that I love about the game. That would just make me sad. And I don't think that that's their intention to sadden and discourage their loyal fans. So can we can we like maybe refocus our attention away from changing the game itself and let's focus on how we market the game better let's market the game as it is to more fans and more people and more kids and let's figure out a way to do that i think that's a topic i'll explore in another episode in 1968 A St. Louis Cardinals pitcher by the name of Bob Gibson had a season that changed baseball to this day. Bob Gibson played 17 seasons for the St. Louis Cardinals. He has 251 career wins, 3,117 strikeouts, and a 2.91 career ERA. He was elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1981 and is one of the all-time greatest pitchers ever and apparently one of the most intimidating. Now, I was not alive in that 1968 season, but I've heard a lot of stories about it. Bob, or Gibby as he's known, especially around St. Louis, was in a zone like few other pitchers have ever experienced. He said he felt like he could do whatever he wanted and that he'd never lose a game. That season, Bob Gibson had a 1.12 ERA for the entire season. 1.12. Now, during that 1968 season, the pitching mound had a 15-inch elevation. In 1969, MLB lowered the elevation to only 10 inches, and that's where it remains today. Bob Gibson's season was so dominating that MLB decided to change the mound height to give hitters a better chance to get a hit. Now, Gibson has reportedly said he's still considering legal action against MLB for lowering the mound after his accomplishment. He says, why should they take away a pitcher's livelihood because he becomes proficient at it? Now, of course, he's partially kidding. But seriously, why would they take away such or make such a drastic change in the mound height? I mean, this season must have been crazy dominating and crazy scary for MLB, who we all know loves offense. Now, some of us really love to watch great pitching and see great pitchers duels, but they lowered the height of the mound because of Bob Gibson's 1.12 ERA that year. Now, there were other pitchers who had low ERAs during that same era as well, but none were as low as Gibby. So in St. Louis, we give credit to Mr. Gibson for being so intimidating and menacing that MLB had to change a rule, and it still holds it to this day. Bob Gibson had an amazing career, which is why he's in the Hall of Fame. He's also my mom's favorite player, so I grew up hearing about him often. 
He has some recent health issues, but I've heard he's making progress to getting better, so best wishes to him. We as fans, of course, often talk about the current roster and what is happening with the teams now. But what should new or young fans know about your team's history? In future episodes, I want to discuss that list, starting with the Cardinals. I know it's on my list, but I want to know what's on your list so we can discuss it. What should every fan know about the Cardinals' history? Send me your list on Instagram at thebaseballempress underscore podcast or at thebaseballempress at gmail.com. You can follow the show again on Instagram at thebaseballempress underscore podcast and at thebaseballempress.com. Thanks for listening. And remember, this ain't your grandma's baseball podcast, and it sure as hell ain't your grandpa's.